3: Greetings and good day and welcome my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and it's a good day for all of us to be here. And This is First Voices Radio. I'm T. and Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength from the East Gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer ally guide is the Malcolm Byrne. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices, indigenousradio.org, for archiving, downloading, and listening. And thank you for joining us we're going to be talking with robbie thorpe the longtime host of bunjil's fire which is a historically informed critical analysis of aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights treaty sovereignty and the cessation of genocide and robbie also plays and highlights the best of black music whether it's modern or traditional bunjil's fire is on wednesdays 11 a.m to 2 p.m in melbourne australia on 3CR 855 AM community radio. And I had the chance to visit Robbie Thorpe last year. And well, actually two years ago about this time in 2020 and Fire First was ignited on the 3CR airwaves in April of 2004 as a unique program for 3CR being an indigenous and non-indigenous collaboration looking at colonialism and activism and towards justice. And since then, has served to fill this void in the mainstream media of an Aboriginal activist point of view, which Robbie Thorpe carries very well, and its experience in the front line, so to speak, with, with uh, demonstrations and speaking on the radio for that long, I'd say it's a 17-year-old radio program now, and it really has the the home feeling of the Indigenous peoples, yeah, Aborigine. From there, Robbie Thorpe is also a well-known gunai Mara, and I want to ask Robbie Thorpe to join us here on First Voices Radio. The native people in in Australia have the oldest living culture, as I as far as I know, one hundred thousand years old, and yet we have these baby cultures who are making the law, and you know, committing genocide. And I, I know I could work you up very fast, Robbie, okay. but I I want to thank you for being here on First Voices Radio. Yeah, it's my my
0: absolute pleasure, Tiagasen. I'm really honoured. Um, good um evening to your guests. Should I say evening or good morning, Both. I'm am really I've been really inspired by uh, the struggle of uh, uh, your peoples, and um, I've learned so much from them. And I'd like to thank you for all that and uh, that resistance. It's, it's inspired yeah. me all my whole life. You know, uh, since 1957 when television comes to the world, uh, uh, I've been admiring the, uh, the Aboriginal people all around the world. I've learned more and more and thanks to your good people, brother, the spirit of your people.
3: Well, thank you for that, Robbie Thorpe. Thank you for that. You know, when I first heard of Australia and that there were Aborigines, there, your people, and I uh, hear in Latin this thing The same thing here, that there was no human beings in the Western Hemisphere. There was no human beings in Australia. It was empty, terra nullius, and yet the indigenous peoples that were there, the humans were subhuman. Can you talk a little bit about that that framing of terra nullius for us?
0: Yes, it was like a a, a lot of part of the scientific racism and the indoctrinated race, hatred that came with colonialism. You know, these things were determined around the round table in England. What was going to happen to out there before it was called uh, Australia? It was called um, New Holland. Had many names out there, and like Holland's, basically the name, the neighbor of um, the English until they didn't know that this place existed. The idea of Terranolas was embedded in this country. The Darwinism, the scientific racism, place that that us at the the most layly form of human ever uh, encountered. And that that sort of mindset's been carried on in this country ever since. And uh, despite the, uh, they've never recognized our most basic and fundamental human rights, our humanity, our genius, our very existence. And it was only up until 1992 in the High Court case, the Mabo High Court case, that they overturned the idea of terra nullius and described it as the act of unutterable shame. It's legal fiction, which was basically the premise of the occupation here and in many ways still stands. They, they flipped that out and they replaced it with something worse, native title, which is another nightmare that we're dealing with.
3: Native title, you talk about terra nullius, but also... You're, you're talking about, I, th- I think you mentioned earlier about uh, no treaties and how dare that the Crown basically will not touch or even negotiate treaties with the Aborigine or peoples from, from what is now called Australia. Is that true? It's the only Commonwealth country.
0: I think there's um, 76 Commonwealth countries globally. It's the only one that hasn't got a treaty with the original people. The only one. And this is not a small country. I think it's the fifth biggest country on the planet, Australia, and there's not a treaty here. So, the, you know, that's what's been covered up. That's the, the lie of Australia and um, the whole idea of terror You know, they had, they had 200 years in isolation to, to, do, to do what they did to our people. They like basically, was just the frenzied extermination of our people, particularly in the southern area, you know, Tasmania. They used that as a military base from about 1800. And built their military forces there. Then they penetrated the mainland, Victoria, what they call Victoria, and all these other places. They they had real difficulty trying to uh, get a foothold when they established Sydney, Botany Bay. Uh, it was very difficult. You don't hear about the uh, the undeclared war and the secret invasion I and mean, everything that goes with that. It was a massive war that went on here for about a hundred years our men women and children died on battlefield australia and not one one monument to that not one form of recognition maybe a few now a couple of monuments for people like yagen and pemaway who were massive fighters back in the day you know. our people were, it was a secret invasion you know, and uh yeah, they brought we say they brought smallpox here too because a guy called captain or lieutenant cook who was working with a man called uh, Joseph Banks, who was a very rich corporate man out of England at the time, who also worked with a, a guy called Geoffrey Amherst in the, uh, the War of Independence in America. And they were accused of uh, using uh, smallpox among the Hudson River tribes. So, uh, and, and shortly after that, they appeared on the east coast of Australia. And that was the uh, beginning of uh, British colonialism for us. Uh, smallpox, a deliberate infestation. Yeah, that took its toll and then they were, it was followed up by a, a secret war where the military landed and that was a brutal war yeah, it was, they didn't leave anybody and uh, we're basically the holocaust survivors the colonized refugees fringe and ghetto dwellers totally overrepresented in the in the, uh, the prison system with the most jailed people on earth we have our children removed we're managed by uh, non-Aboriginal people, I call them the Houses from England, who are managing our people. Uh, they manage our children, our welfare, every aspect of our lives. So, uh, you know, we've struggled against all that. i worked, I was lucky because I was uh, part of a family that managed to stay together during the period of colonialism, hard times, you know, very difficult in the state of Victoria. but we did manage to survive. and. Um, uh, out of the ghettos came our organisations initially, and they are community-based, community-controlled, uh, with the idea of self-determination, principles of sovereignty. I, I learned that at a young age. I was very lucky. Not, not, many of my people didn't learn that. They were forcibly assimilated and absorbed into the system big time. So when Fitzroy, which is an Aboriginal community, started to grow, we... we we're very much a part of the growth of Free cr Community Radio, and you know uh, we grew with that organisation i I'm um, basically the same opal ways of operating as a as a community organisation. Um, for the people by the people is very important um, part of my education. In fact, I've been a part of Free cr for forty years since its since its beginning. I've seen it grow in my community, like my the organisations I initially worked for, but we've we've lost them those organisations to corporations, they're, they're not us, they're, they're different. They're different operations these days and they're, they're doing more damage than the white followers ever did their welfare and control. That's where I see it at the moment. That's you know the biggest problem for us. You know, these corporations don't represent us. They misrepresent us. They're not the sovereign bodies. We've already got, uh, you know, they're corporate governed and funded and you know, their agendas government assimilation, basically so yeah we're out of the pump Now um, i i know i've learned a lot of what's the journey of your people you can imagine i imagine my people are very similar to your people in terms of this struggle but except we haven't got treaties
3: i don't know if that's a good or bad thing we call toilet paper here a lot of native people <laughs> refer referred to as treaty paper and you know that's that to us is treaty paper because none of the treaties were actually followed and and people want to say, yes, but you still get free this and free that. But actually, nothing is free here for Native people. It's like they're still living here and making it uh, rationally good for them. And and I know this goes back to Terra again. And over here, you mentioned uh, it's the equivalent of Manifest Destiny here, where even there, the the, the logo or the lingo, Blood Oath, has origins in Australia, um, and I know it's it's hard history to, to, for people to hear what happened in the mid 1800s. Um, the, the indigenous peoples, the aborigines, there was basically let's sign this blood oath of silence regarding that we're getting rid of the native people in Australia, and and I know that you you said you grew up with that. So my my question would be, you know, when we talk about the non-Aboriginal peoples helping or not helping indigenous peoples. I'm sure there's allies out there and I know you know that, but it gets extremely complicated when it comes to what you would call in, in Australia, the Native Title Act, proved not to be the progressive legislation. It's like they gave you hope and then they they pulled the rug out from underneath that. Uh, so could you talk about that, Robbie?
0: Um, my my um buddy on radio Claire Land, actually wrote a book called uh, Decolonising Solidarity. It's a book that's out there right now. It's selling very well actually, and it quotes a lot of the, the works of um, uh, Gary Foley, who was a legendary Aboriginal activist. Some of the work that, uh, that I did, and because one of the problems with uh, non-Aboriginal people is they keep uh, you know you gotta explain to every everyone individually the, the process and so, yeah, you know, together we decided to put a book together called decolonizing solidarity so people could just read his book and if they had crushes from out of that well they could uh, see how they could support us in terms of their solidarity work and things like that so people should have a look at that for example but what was the other part of that that question uh
3: the, um, the the other part was the Native Title Act proved not to be that progressive uh, legislation that no, aborigines no. were hoping for, right?
0: Yes, and that was a total, total sham from the get-go. You know, they've been trying to lock us into their system since uh, since they arrived. Well, they tried to absorb us and disappear us. Then they've tried to assimilate us into the system. We're not actually in the Constitution, our I people. Mean. And that's that's one of the rare things around. You know, we're not we're not um, bound by the, the Australian Constitution. You know, there's no there's no place in that for Aboriginal people. We've never been. It's been a wide-only policy constitution for a long time, but we've never actually uh, consented to that thing as well. So that's that's one of the things that not having a treaty has done for us. So, but terra nullis, uh, I mean, uh, native title was the biggest scam since terra nullis. <laughs> And, it, and, it, uh, start, and it's uh, like it's entrenched the uh, occupation of non-Aboriginal people in our country because we're, it's, it looks as like we're finally slotted into their regime of titles. And native title is actually the lowest form of title in this country. It's mm. less than a, a native t- uh, a, a pastoral lease, which is for foreign white animals. You now, our people realise this from the very beginning, but. Yeah, you know, most of the people, average people who do work in this country work for the state. Hang around the fort Indians. I think you call them over there. It's just full of bureaucracy here. There's no uh, independent Aboriginal organisation. Very, very rare if you do see that at all. But most of our people uh, have got vested interests with the state and so they're the ones who promote and um, push the policies. So you've got to be very careful uh, mm-hmm. in who you're speaking, you know. A lot of people say they represent this and represent that, but when you when you strip it, there, you can see where they're coming from. So there's a lot of those issues. That, and and native title is a, like a, a disaster. And even the, one of the main art, Aboriginal architects of it, Noel Pearson, admits to it was it was it was a it was a, 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 a failure. Yeah, but this was imposed brutally on Aboriginal people. Uh, I remember um, Paul Keating when he said that the. The Aboriginal bureaucrats that he had assembled, he said, "If anybody stands in the way of this legislation, knock them over." Yes. This is the prime minister talking to black uh, welfare cretins who manage our affairs. And, and back in the day, it was the, uh, a couple of the green senators who stood up with the Aboriginal people and tried to stop the native title uh, being um, implemented. About you know we we'll, we vastly outnumbered by the system, non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal those groups of Aboriginal people have resisted. I've been a part of that. I've never, I don't think any white fathers legislation uh, mm-hmm. is appropriate for our people. You know, where do they get the right to apply their law to us? I think it's backward their law. You know, we're a socially organised society. We've been around for hundreds of thousands of years. We've got law. They're lawless mindless, backward. Why, why, why would a person there right one and one will assimilate into that? And we've got reasons to resist here and brought nothing good to this country and um, done a lot of damage, stole a lot of things. Uh, Australia's the biggest exporter of coal in the world. You know, got a horrendous uh, uh, history of um, eco side, you know,
3: and we're, we're speaking with Robbie Thorpe, who's the uh, host of Bunjil's Fire on 3CR8, 55 AM Community Radio in Melbourne, Australia, heard on Wednesdays from 11 until 2. That's a three-hour program, Robbie. And I want to continue with the theme about history. Of course, we can always compare it to what's going on here with First Nations peoples in Canada, North America, and even in South South America, and you're talking about all the acts, all the um, legislation that was given or written for indigenous peoples in in Australia. And, you know, it's like, wow, this is matching up to relocation, um, basically coming down to stolen land, and yet giving patronizing you know saying oh see look we, we've we included australian in in our in our quote unquote the stolen wealth games and see we're recognizing the blackie the black person and they're still here but yet they still have to do it our way and as you mentioned you know and i think about That you have participated leading up to for other Australians, Aborigines, to understand the struggle for Indigenous rights. And in 2006, you did this um, occupation in central Melbourne. And I think that's where you took us to that hill, if I'm correct. Is that right? Yes, that's right.
0: It was the Kingston Rain, actually, part of the Botanical Gardens of Melbourne, very treasured part of this colonial society is right next to the um, government house in Victoria and um, you know one of our uh, strategies was wherever there was a, uh, an international spotlight now in this country let's jump in front of it and, and put the go on and that's what we did for the, the Commonwealth we, we planned and plotted the thing called the black GST the, the genocide sovereignty treaty campaign and at the stolen world games and there was a number of us um, a couple of us, a small group of activists, and a couple of white followers who plotted this, and we um, actually occupied that place for 60 days right through the, you know, the time of the um, the Commonwealth Games, and we, we uh, actually, you know, we, we created a lot of um, media attention out of them, international as well. It was one of the ways we did things, it was to take advantage of the international spotlight. No-one else was listening. So that's what we did, and that's what we, you know, I grew up that sort of um, way of operating. There's not many Aboriginal people in this country. You know, we're a very small population of our own country, you know, and vastly outnumbered. You know, And you, you look at uh, activists in, in any community, it's a small number of people. And in Aboriginal communities, a small number of people, and, but there's a lot of activists, I must admit. You know, it's still a small number of people support's not really there for us, we just, we keep pushing the stuff on you know, what we believe is true. And um, it seems like uh, the things that we have been saying is becoming real now. It's the issue of land rights, for example, you know, people had understood the meaning of land rights back in the day. You probably wouldn't have had the problem we got today in terms of the, the climate and things like that. You know, Aboriginal people don't say we own the land. We say we're a part of, we come from the country, you know, the land is our mother. And uh, we can't understand anybody who would would damage the creation, our creation, or their creation. It's all part of them as well. But it's about greed, as we know. And that's what's driving the machine. The capitalist colonial machine is driven by by, um, control and the resources and superpower contention and all that sort of stuff going on. We're on the ground struggling against that sort of um, problem as well as everything else. It is difficult just
3: a civil. And this is First Voices Radio, and we're speaking with Robbie Thorpe, the longtime host of Bunjil's Fire out of Melbourne, Australia. And we'll return with more Robbie Thorpe talking about the everyday struggles of the Indigenous peoples, the Aborigine, from the continent now called Australia.
1: Can you hear me? Or is my sound just off? Do they choose not to take heed, or am I just not speaking loud enough? Is this message overlooked because it did not come with a bird attached in its foot? Or in the form of a glorious book? They didn't find this message burning in a bush, scripture or novel, neither did it come in a bottle. This message is not a product of thousands petitioning, neither did a million men march until their feet were blistering, nor did it spurt forth from the mouth of a corpse. Cause when we was young we was told the revolution would not be televised So we had to improvise So we put that on the net and watch it get digitalized. Right now, there is a kid finishing parents evening in a heated discussion with his mother Saying, why does he have to study subjects he will never ever use in his life And she will look at him blank eyed, stifle a sigh, think for a second and then lie She'll say something along the lines of, You know to get a good job you need a good degree, and these subjects will help you get a good degree. We never had this opportunity when I was younger. And he will reply, But you were young a long time ago, weren't you, Mum? And she won't respond, although what he implies makes perfect sense that society's needs would have changed since she was 16. But she will ignore him, grip his hand more sternly, then drag him to the car. But what she doesn't know is that she didn't ignore him just to shut him up. She didn't lie because they were just returning from parents evening and an argument in the hallway would look bad on her resume. She won't lie because she's just spent the last one hour convincing a stern faced teacher that she will ensure that her child studies more at home. No, she will lie simply because she does not know any better herself. Although her whole adult life she has never used or applied Pythagoras' theorem, prophetic fallacy, and still does not know the value of X, she will rely on society to tell her that her child, who has one of the sharpest minds in the school, is hyperactive, unfocused, easily distracted and wayward. Students, how many equations, subjects and dates did you memorize just before an exam never to use again? How many A grades did you get, which were never asked for when you applied for a job? How many times have you remembered something five minutes just after the teacher said stop writing? Only to receive your results one month later to realise that you were only one mark short of the top grade. Does that mean remembering five minutes earlier would have made you more qualified for a particular job? Well, on application form it would have. We all have different abilities, thought processes, experiences and genes. So why is a class full of individuals tested by the same means? does so that means Sherelle thinks she's dumb because she couldn't do a couple of sums. And if this issue is not addressed properly, it then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then every school has the audacity to have a policy on equality. <laughs> the irony. Exams are society's methods of telling you what you're worth But you can't let society tell you what you are Cos it's the same society that tells you that abortion is wrong But then looks down on teenage parents The same society that sells products to promote Natural hair, looks and smooth complexion With the model on the box half photoshopped And has fake lashes and hair extensions With pastors that preach charity but own private jets Imams that preach against greed but are all fat Parents that say they want educated kids But constantly marvel at how rich Richard Branson is, governments that preach peace but endorse wars, that say they believe so much in the importance of higher education and further learning, then why increase tuition fees every single year? I believe Miss Jefferson when she took me into the office and said that my exams would be imperative to my success, cause we was taught to always follow when Miss Jefferson led, but then I took Jefferson out of the equation and learned to think for myself, I realised we was taught to always follow when Miss led. Huh, the irony. us with tests but the finals are never final because they never prepare us for the biggest test which is survival and what I suggest is fairly outlandish so I do not expect everyone to understand this except for the kids who knows what it feels like to be worth no more than that D or that A that you get on results day and the ones whose best stories were never good enough for the English teacher because apparently you missed out key literal techniques did not follow the class plan and the language was too informal for him to understand but then he'd reference Hamlet and Macbeth and you'd fight the earth to express your contempt by partially clenching your fist with only your media's finger left protruding in the middle of your hand and then asks if he was aware that Shakespeare was known as the innovator of slang or the kid at the back of the class who thinks why am I studying something that doesn't fuel my drive but then when confronted with a maths problem his eyes come alive so this one is for my generation the ones who found what they were looking for on Google the ones who followed their dreams on Twitter pictured their future on Instagram accepted destiny on Facebook this one's for my failures and my dropouts for my unemployed graduates, my shop assistants, cleaners and cashiers with bigger dreams my self-employed entrepreneurs, my world changers and my dream chasers cause the purpose of why I hate school but love education was not to initiate a worldwide debate but to let them know that whether 72 or 88, 44 or 68 we will not let exam results decide our fate peace
3: Yeah, and this is First Voices Radio. My name is Diokasan Ghost and uh, This is a national, internationally syndicated program, and community is the earth. Community is this universe that we have as as people, humans, and indigenous point of view. And the last song you heard before our, our acknowledgement and recognition of community was titled We Will Not Let Exam Results Dis- Decide Our Fate, which is a 213. 2013 spoken word singles released by Silly Breaks out of England. And so now we continue our conversation with Robbie Thorpe from the Gunai Mara Aborigine or First Nations people of Australia. One of 300 different tongues and as many different Aboriginal people in the continent with the world's oldest living culture. I would say 100,000 Years old, and I had the pleasure of visiting with Robbie Thorpe, the host of Bunjil's Fire in Melbourne, Australia, and visiting several sites that you would say sacred, but the people are being prevented. In this one particular site, we went, and it was caged up because it had graffiti all over it, so it had to be caged and fenced in and protected that way. And and we were talking about this resilience and existing in a foreign conceptual government called Australia and the right-wing infiltration into the Genocide sovereignty and Treaty, the group that Robbie Thorpe organized back in 2006. And so this is Robbie Thorpe Part 2. Thanks for joining us here on First Voices Radio. We went to several camps along the road preserving the old forest, the elders of the trees, um, and then, you know, the eagles appeared and Just, it was like being at home for me as a native from North America, from Turtle Island. And I think about, wow, this people out there, and I always say, Robbie, that you don't have to be educated to know what oppression is. Because it, it's on the land too. It, the land's feeling this, and um, the the issue that we have is that that colonialism, that domination, those ideas saying, "Well, you'll be far off, better far off as indigenous peoples if you do it our way," but yet, as you say, the small population in Australia has actually been really been resilient resistance because we know that way is actually destructive to the earth and, and i know that's how you feel about what our this interview is, is going in and i think that's in a future for a lot of native people talk about your your resistance here um lately because i i know there's a lot of other things happening that we don't hear about you got like you said out of sight and out of mind talk about that
0: well did you did you just did you see what happened at the uh to the old parliament building this week where the front door of the old parliament which is a very treasured building of this country where the aboriginal tent embassy is directly across the road from where we have a, a fire burning it's been burning for 25 years now and um this week the front the front of um parliament house was set on fire so there's all sorts of trouble going on there that's uh and there's there's this right-wing group that's infiltrated our movement and causing trouble it seems so there's lots of issues like that going on but on the 26th of january we're planning to go to canberra on mass and once again take these on for whatever it's worth you know we've done always done things uh, without violence yeah it hasn't been an option for us in recent times using force to just you know it's smarter than that. So this is a really dangerous situation going on right now. I'm, I'm just wondering if people do see those sorts of things. It was very dramatic um, vision to see the, the parliament, uh, average of people chanting with their boomerangs and spears outside yeah. the parliament house while it's on fire. Uh, the, the control of media, which is, uh, that's what it's really all about. It's the control the ebb and flow uh, of information. Who gets it, who don't. Who interprets? That's why I, I'm involved with media. You know, and what I, I'm not. I'm not an educator. But I'm. You know, I wouldn't say that. I, I'm not. A, I'm not an academic. I, I didn't learn anything until I, I left school. Actually, until I connected back with my community. That's where the real knowledge is. You know, I learned quickly that was uh, the, real, the real. knowledge is with our, our elders, and our ancestors, and our stories. I was, I suppose, lucky enough to be steered along that, that pathway. Now, I remember reading all the uh, the dream time, what they call the dream time stories. The very first things I read, so I I had, I had a feeling that I didn't want to get caught up in this system. I could see what it was doing to my people. I steered away from drugs now because I wanted to actually do something. I want to carry a spear and spear this beast in the heart somehow. You know, think long term, set it up. It's not going to happen overnight. And there's, a, there's a lot of a lot of people who think like me. You know, just staunch activists and just genocide, sovereignty and lack of treaty are the issues. And that's what you're going to be talking about, otherwise we'll waste time there. out. the protest at the Stalwell game was was called the Black GST campaign. Those issues, the genocide needs to be stopped. You know, end of the war, acknowledge all that sort of stuff, cease of hostilities the true law, the true sovereignty of this land needs to be recognised, the S, the GDS, and uh, uh, a treaty needs to be made, or otherwise, some sort of arrangement, so we can coexist on our own land, and so we're not subject to the brutalities that we are. Opposition would change overnight if, for example, if if the Genocide Convention was in place in this country, it's, it's one of the other... Places that it doesn't have a genocide convention. In fact, most of the uh, what we call the peremptory norms of international customary law are not adhered to by an Australia. And that's what would cripple the place you know, genocide, racism. And they are international laws that Australia takes no notice of. They can pick and choose what they want out of that. And it's interesting that Australia was very much a part of the creation of the United Nations. The first uh, president was an Australian, Herbert Everett. He actually drafted all that stuff and uh, Australia uh, failed to make genocide a crime in Australia. And you know, uh, the odds are stacked against us, but um, it doesn't phase us, you know, we know what's right. And you know, we know it's where the truth lies and uh, uh, nothing's going to stop us. Whether there's one person quite for the world or there's, there's thousands. And we can see that it's going to change, you know, it's, it's, colonialism's unsustainable backward. it's, 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 it's uh, mindless, it's lawless. You know, we were lawful and we were mindful and we were socially organised society over hundreds of thousands of years, sophisticated understanding of most things. And you know, all that's been denied of us. I don't think uh, the Jews have got a mortgage on genocide either. It happened everywhere, like you say. And uh, uh, Britain's no different than Nazis. I, in fact, I call Australia a, a Nazi wet dream. Nazis mm-hmm. are amateurs in comparison to this country, and you know, they actually nailed a, a whole continent. Mm-hmm. Nazis couldn't do that, and they were intervened with and stopped. But they got away. This is the side you want to be on, the the Western colonial, or the West.
3: Well, Robbie, Robbie Thorpe, time is coming short and I really want to a base question. Of course, the land is, has everything to do with culture of the Aborigines, culture of those uh, Australians who've taken taken from the Aborigines and not really given credit or, you know, like you say, not even, you know, can't even own the land, basically live, uh, you can live there occupied. But one thing I want to know is that the original 2006 um, sovereignty, the GST camp there, did you and do you and when did you, uh, as Aborigine people, were able to, were you able to practice religion, if that's the question?
0: Well, we don't really get to do that. You know, it's, you try to light a fire, they'll jump all over you. You, know, you try to get some land here, they'll start shooting. We, you know, the actual land that the average people in Victoria are is about 0.001% of the land mass in Victoria. So it's it's hard to do or a ceremony, it's hard to do any sort of ceremony. And then we need to, to do the ceremony more more importantly now than ever. You know, we need to heal ourselves. We've got no place to heal ourselves. We can heal ourselves. We need to heal ourselves. We need to be, right. our, our land heals us, but we got none. So we're just subject to their welfare and their, and their control and, and the people who work for them, and the, the, the average people who work for them, control controlling the process and but we know that we need to get back to our land that's all we need to have Yeah, you know, we don't need much more than have a fire and we could heal a lot of people we know we've seen that happen at camp sovereignty and uh just not average people came out of the woodwork not average people came out of the woodwork and we instantly felt better it was it was miraculous almost what was going on there so you know i think that, that country doesn't want to have fires we got one at the tent embassy which they can't put out for some reason i don't understand mm. <laughs> it's beyond me some of the stuff but i was taught uh, the power of that fire and if it's done as lit properly and the ancestors are sung up the right way and, and the proper ceremony is done you know there's that's all there for us if we get back to our land and you know, we're very. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say we're divided, we're, you know, we're, very, we're being destituted and uh, there's lots of division in our community because of what's happened and what's happening to us. There's still all these uh, arrangements being made where they're destroying our land, sites. So it's, it's so sad. Uh, at the end of the day, everyone's going to pay for that. We already know that. That's why I'm, I'm, we've got to fight for our land. Uh, because if we've got no name, we've got no, we've got no future. And um, you know, that's, I've spent a lot of my life at the expense of my, my family personally. I know that's the big picture we need to all step up and, and, and do something, stop these people tearing it apart and claiming um, that some sort of God-given right to do that. Until that stops, I'm going to keep, as long as I've got press in me, I'm standing upright, I'm going to keep fighting for all that stuff because uh, I've got nothing better to do, actually. And I, and I believe that truth one day will, there's an old Confucius saying, there's three things you can't hide for too, too long. That one is called the moon, the other the sun, and the other one is the truth. Sooner or later it's gonna come up. I believe that our day will come then. And, and we're, we're just spirits, same spirits over and over and over. It's in different vehicles. But at the end of the day, the truth will come out. You can't control it. It's the most powerful force there ever was. I'm so privileged to be a part of uh, my ancestors and the things that they carry, that dream, that dream time. It's the reality of all those uh, dream time that I realize it was true. And I live my life based around that truth. That's something very you
3: know, sacred here with what's happened to our country. It's the world's poorer for it. I, I hear you and, and I want to. Extend my hand and in our way we say chantewashtenapechi zapiello. It's uh you know, I give you my hand and it's good that you're here. I honor your voice and uh Radio 3CR or 3CR 855 a.m. Community radio, Melbourne, Australia. And you can also go to 3CR.org.au and go to the website and look for Fungiels Fire. Uh, with Robbie Thorpe, this longtime host of of that radio program, and find out more about Robbie, what Robbie does and the activism and bringing the truth. And I I, I love that story about the the moon and the sun and the truth that they will eventually rise. And with Indigenous peoples everywhere, especially with uh, your people in Australia, the the sustainability of our ideas, the dream time, as you say, it uh, it's Mother Earth's dream. And I'd th- like to thank you for being here and uh
0: yeah, just the knowing people like yourself, there's a lot of people that have that knowing and uh, not just not, not established people have that. I think it's all deeply in the spirits of all people, yeah? that's what we what we have is our spirit. That's all we like. And I think that's that's enough for you as well to the most important of all. And so that's that's going to be free, the, the freedom of our spirit. I call it a spiritual revolution.
3: Well, Robbie, man, it's good to hear you. Good to hear you. It really is.
0: It's good to hear you. And thank you so much, brother. Well, it's such an honor, a pleasure to come onto yeah. your radio show. Right now.
3: Okay, man, be, be strong. And see you soon, Robbie. Take care.
0: Well, thanks again, mate.
1: last land My promises can disappear Just like writing been up This land was never bought and sold The planting of the Union deck never changed our law at all the rivers run their course, Separated for so long
2: Society. Crazy indeed. I hope you're not lonely without. Me. Disagree Society
3: beautiful music. My name is and Ghost Horse. And um, that song after Robbie Thorpe's interview, um, very important interview, by the way, was called Treaty by Yotu Yindi back in 1992. And um, talking about the treaty and how back then. And I want to share a little story with you from 1992 and meeting with Yotu Yindi the following year, 1993, as they toured... The United States, and they came out west to Washington State at that time, and I got to meet them backstage, and and it was right after that that summer. There was in Indian country, Native Native country, we have a thing called powwow. People like to make fun of that word, but it's really a deeper meaning. pow wow actually means to dance, bringing. Dreams, making your dreams come true. That's the gathering of it. It's just the one that we recognize that the United States makes amusement out of is the ones where natives dance around in a circle, and there is, you know, that's it's it's used um, very carelessly. I could say about that that word powwow. And they use it to basically stereotype a lot of things. And that was brought about by the forcing of Native people, especially from the Plain States, who had to uh, basically serve under Wild Bill Cody, Buffalo Bill Cody. If you ever get into the history of this country called America, then they were basically indentured. They were forced to dance the way they want them, wanted them to as Wild Bill Cody, the Wild West show, went throughout the land and into Europe, and many natives were, dense, were forced to perform as themselves, yet in theatrical, I would say, a theatrical show. So it was basically um, very humiliating. I, if I was back living back then, right, it would be humiliating. So you have to be careful of what you say when you say powwow, or even, uh, you know, ra- uh, circle the wagons and all these other ideas that are out there that are very harmful for a lot of people, including native people and yourself. I would say that in "Societies" by Eddie Vedder from the movie "Into the Wild," and that was a 2006, I believe. Yes, that was that. And uh, talking about the society, you know, we take too much. We don't understand. We think we expect Earth to give more. And if you see the movie "Into the Wild," it's uh, like a a guy who basically drops out of society because he can't stand it and goes into the wild, but he's not prepared to learn the plants. He doesn't know the plants, and he survives maybe a winter. But when it comes to the springtime, he eats the wrong plant and poisons himself. And maybe this is what we were away from. We don't know how to survive with the earth anymore. We expect that grocery store across the street to service and be always full because that's the nature of Consumer societies. And so he sings about that, Eddie Vedder. And um, I would like to, since I have a minute or so here, I would like to ask you to go to a, a website called akantuinstitute.org. Akantu is spelled A K N T U, institute.org. And um, also, you can find a little button. It's called slash ghost horse. And if you go there, you'll find reasoning and thought processes from myself and from a lot of people who have really helped me get this out there for the first time. I'm not basically a crowd funder or whatever, a crowd uh, source searcher or seeker. But it's that time now, so people saying, you need to do this, Teokasen, because, you know, the things that I say, maybe they make sense, maybe they don't. And we really are contextualizing original wisdom for these troubled times. And if I could say and speak English, this foreign language, a little better, I'd probably put it in conceptual value so that you really understood what I'm saying. But uh, Lakota is that that thought process that I come from? Because to us, this is the hardest time to live, but it is also the greatest honor to be alive now, and to be allowed to see this time. There is no other time like now, and we should be thankful. For creation didn't make us to be weak spirits to live during this time. The old ones say this is the time when the strongest spirits will live through, and those who will, those who are empty shells, and those who have lost the connection will not survive. We have become masters of survival as native people and we will survive because it's our prophecy to do so we know that because it's from this land this is who we are as indigenous peoples and I'd like to promote that akantu which is a Lakota word meaning earth being or or in your words human I remember in a Lakota we don't have a word for human being um, so it's like and that means something else There is a deeper meaning, and some say in the Olakota, it really means many beings walking, existing, living with the earth upon it. Um, And it's the energy of the earth that we carry into the future from the past. So basically we are talking about the beings from the ancient future now. And so this is the time that we refocus the energy from the earth We're not here to save the earth because that's what the earth is doing for us and with us. And so I'd like to leave you with that. And please go to that. And maybe we can learn how to share knowledge in a different time. Some other time, maybe I'll I'll just come on the radio and say these things. So it's patreon.com slash ghost horse. One word, ghost horse. And the website is akantuinstitute.org. A-K-N-T-U-institute.org. So I'd like to thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio, and this is Tioksin Ghost Horse. Doksha Ake watching Telo.